Do you want to lead initiatives to advance patient care? Do you want flexibility to work in various practice settings? Do you want to do it all? As you continue your journey towards a specialty choice, let the American Academy of Family Physicians, AAFP, help you with valuable resources. Visit aafp.org meded to learn more. Choose more. Choose family medicine. The life of a med student is a busy one, from fitting cadaver labs to USMLE prep to clinical rotations into your schedule. But when you take a step back to look at the big picture of your medical training and how it fits into our health system, are you satisfied with the image? Welcome to the AMTA AdLib Podcast, where you'll hear from med students and experts alike. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. AMSA as an organization is committed to improving medical training and our nation's overall health. Many individuals will face obstacles along the way, like struggling to find the time or just not knowing where or how to get started. But AMSA aims to represent your voice as physicians in training and also empower students to take action and create change about issues they care about. This week, AMSA's Chief Executive Officer Joshua Caulfield spoke with AMSA National President Dr. Kelly Tibbert about things you can do, ways you can make a difference, and also educate you on topics that are of importance to your particular area of interest. Here's Joshua. I'm Joshua Caulfield, and I'm the Chief Executive Officer of AMSA. AMSA is a place where you can make a difference, and I have the honor and privilege to speak with our National President, Dr. Kelly Tibbert, today, and we're going to talk to you about advocacy. I'd like to start by welcoming the National AMSA President, Dr. Kelly Tibbert. Dr. Tibbert, Kelly, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. We're delighted to have you, and I'd like to know a little bit about you. How'd you get involved in AMSA, and how'd you get involved in advocacy? So my history with AMSA extends back to when I was a pre-med at the University of Central Florida. So this is actually my 10th year being an AMSA member, and I'm very honored and, and happy to say that. So I started as a pre-med just kind of wondering, how do I get into medical school? And joined AMSA just to find out what that checklist, so-called checklist, was that I needed to fulfill. Then I found out AMSA was way more than a checklist organization. It really opened my eyes to what I could be doing in terms of advocacy and social justice and how I could really incorporate my passion for social justice into my passion for medicine. So I began really my advocacy maybe career, so to speak. Um, when I was in high school, I was really lucky that my high school offered a women's studies class, and that's very rare. And I think it only was offered that one year, um, maybe the year after me as well. But it was very short-lived at my high school. And in that class, I learned about the suffrage movement. I learned about issues that women face and have faced and continue to face and how it was relevant to me as a woman and relevant to our society. So from there, I went on to uh, my undergraduate career at the University of Central Florida, where I pursued molecular and microbiology and then also minored in women's studies. So in my time there, I was able to join AMSA, where I pursued several local and national leadership positions. I was also able to join the National Organization for Women, which I had the honor of uh, both being a member of and also being the president of for two years in a row. And then I also joined some other progressive organizations just to kind of broaden uh, my knowledge base and to get kind of a sense of what was happening both in my community and 
in areas that I wasn't being exposed to just because of what my my major or my minor was. So in my time at college, I learned how to write op-eds. I learned how to write letters to the editor. I learned how to be interviewed by the media. I learned how to organize protests and demonstrations. I learned how to write a petition and how to go out and get those petitions signed. Um, I learned what bird dogging was and what canvassing meant and what it meant to show up and be present um, at either a rally or just physically at your congressperson's office. Being a part of AMSA is where I learned how to meet with my congresspeople and really go in and lobby for what I was passionate about. One of the first issues that I lobbied about was teenage girls being married um, by forcefully in other countries and how that was, in effect, affecting their health um, negatively. And this was surprising to me because I remember sitting down as a pre-med thinking, you know, how do women or girls rather getting married at young ages, how does this relate to health? And boy, did I learn a lot that day. Uh, AMSA really taught me how so many different issues have huge health impacts on so many people. And they gave me the knowledge and the courage to go in to meet with my my members of Congress and to talk to them about this issue in an educated manner and to really advocate and use my voice and to follow up with them. So since that time as a pre-med, I, I think I've honestly grown as an advocate um, and an activist in that sense. And I feel more comfortable now calling my Congress people, writing letters, writing emails, showing up in person. And it's kind of fun to do, actually, knowing that these people represent me and I'm showing up to tell them, hey, this is what I think, this is what I know, and here's why you should listen to me. So then in medical school, I stayed involved in AMSA, still continuing you know, what I had been doing in uh, my pre-med career. Uh, but then I also got involved with Medical Students for Choice to pursue my passion even more of reproductive health and women's health. So through Med Students for Choice and AMSA as a medical student, I was able to even further understand policy and decision-making in our country, both locally, statewide, and nationwide. And now, as national president of AMSA, I have learned more than I ever thought I could learn as a new physician about policy, making policy, affecting policy, and creating change. And I'm very happy and honored to serve in this position. You know, Kelly, you've done a lot and been part of a lot of different movements along your path. I wonder how you found time for all of it, considering the fact that studying for a medical degree is a huge undertaking. How did you possibly do it, and did you even bother to try and have a social life? That's a great question, and I hear that a lot from people. And honestly, it didn't feel like work to me because I'm so passionate about what I do, and I'm so passionate about AMSA and what we stand for. So honestly, being a part of AMSA was what uh, kind of helped me to stay sane in medical school. Medical school is really hard, and for those of you who are in it right now, You know, I understand. I went through it too. I actually decided my first semester of med school that I wasn't going to do any extracurriculars. I would focus on my academics. And about two or three months into medical school, I really felt the weight of med school and was having trouble finding myself and remembering why I was there. Because when you're studying 
those biochemistry pathways. And when you're studying human anatomy and you're in the cadaver lab all those hours, you really forget why you're there and what the end result is. So being involved in AMSA and other organizations truly helped me to to maintain that connection. And while, yes, it was hard, I had to do things for AMSA after my hours at school. You know, we had to attend class. It was mandatory, 9 to 5. So if that meant waking up at 4 or 5 a.m. to do things for AMSA before my classes started, that's what happened. If it meant staying up a few hours later after I was done studying, well, you're never really done studying, but <laughs> after I was done with what I wanted to study for that night, um, you know, then then I would sit down and, and do some of my AMSA things that needed to get done. And really just reading about what was happening in the world and staying informed and being able to express myself and have this outlet for social justice, advocacy, activism really kept me going. That's awesome. AMSA, let's talk about AMSA a little bit. AMSA has been around for over 60 years and has a real history of advocacy. I mean, everything from, of course, health and educational issues to protesting the Vietnam War, which was part of how AMSA became an independent organization, to dealing with social justice, women's health, LGBTQ issues, global health issues, and so forth, um, and especially on the resident work hours. We have a a huge history here as the organization. Can you talk a little bit about what AMPS is doing today and how our members are involved in some of the protesting, some of the rallying, and the advocating that is actually going on, not just at the national level, but even at their own local? Absolutely. And you're right, AMSA has been and continues to be involved in so many issues, especially as they pertain to health, right, which is something that I just talked about, too, how how some issues seem like they don't relate to health, and then lo and behold, they do. And you're you just have all this new knowledge and you have a new outlet for advocating uh, on behalf of your patients. So AMSA started off at least this year with three national advocacy strategies. So what this meant was that we chose three pretty broad topics for our members to focus their advocacy efforts on. They could focus on this from any lens that they wished, um, which is why we kept this so broad. So we focused on women's health, LGBTQ health, and healthcare for all, or our single payer campaign. Aside from our national advocacy strategies, AMSA has been involved in several things. We talk about gun violence prevention. We talk about U.S. climate and how that relates to health. We talk about the opioid epidemic, conflict of interest in medical education through our AMSA scorecard. And we also talk about the social mission of medicine. And these are just a few of the things that we've talked about in the past month and a half. And when you say talked about... You certainly don't mean just we sit around and have salons on campus and have conversations amongst ourselves. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that and some of the other ways in which we talk about things uh, so that people can get a better sense of what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. So that's a great question. Uh, When we talk about things at AMSA, that really means that we're using our voices in multiple ways. So there are a lot of things that not only us at the national office, but all of our members around the country and in our local chapters are doing on a daily basis to raise their voices about issues that they are concerned about or that they believe in. So as I mentioned, writing letters to our Congress, writing letters to governors of states who are likely to veto bills or can potentially veto harmful bills, 
when we write op-eds, letters to the editor of local papers. Um, the national office does write those op-eds and letters to the editor in local, local papers when we feel that there is a need for a national voice on an issue locally. We create petitions and have members sign petitions. We deliver them publicly. We've also got a lot of activity going on from our national leaders. How many national leaders do we have working on advocacy pol- policies? So all of our national leaders work on advocacy and policy. Uh, granted, their titles might not say so. The things that they're doing are just incredible. We have nearly 85 national leaders. They're all students, whether pre-med or medical, and they're all volunteers. And they do these incredible things like put on week, weeks of action, like National Primary Care Week, Health Equity Week of Action, um, AWARE, And these are all done outside of the national office? Yeah, these are all done outside of the national office. All of our national leaders work remotely from the office here in D.C., and they communicate with myself and our education and advocacy fellow, Matt Moy, pretty frequently, and we're in constant communication with one another. But they work at their own campuses? Yes, they work at their own campuses, so they'll take calls between classes, they'll take calls when they're on breaks from rounds, they'll meet with us you know, after hours. We have meetings sometimes 8 p.m., 9 p.m., because we know a medical student or a pre-medical student schedule is not the typical 9 to 5 schedule. Wonderful. But these are students, so they don't have an experience in advocacy. It's not like we're the, you know, AMA or SGIM or one of the larger national organizations that might have a, a policy professional on staff who's, you know, been working the Hill for 20 years. This is really a grassroots organization. How do you prepare a student to be able to stand in front of an audience and present an issue which they may be passionate about, but how do you give them the skills to be able to do that? I think one of the ways that we first give them the skill is by giving them the opportunity. Sometimes in other places, students are kind of hindered. Their voices can't be heard. And here at AMSA, that's one of the things that I love about AMSA is that we don't have a parent organization, which means that everything that comes out of AMSA is truly coming from the mouths of physicians in training. They have made these statements in our House of Delegates. They have told us what we should be advocating on behalf of, and they are really the ones who are going out and representing AMSA for who we truly are, which is physicians in training who are members of AMSA. So in order to prepare our members to do such things as advocating or hosting conferences or being keynotes at conferences, we offer them these opportunities, but then we also have different webinars and trainings that folks can attend. We also have different resources on our website. We have a whole page devoted to advocacy, different types of advocacy, how to participate in activism, and that's updated pretty frequently by our education and advocacy fellow, when, especially when he's finding new ways of doing things as well. But there is some training, right? We have a a scholars program and we have an advocacy leadership uh, program as well as a variety of sessions at our national convention and other things. Can you speak to some of these? Because I think these trainings are important. So as I mentioned before, one of my first times advocating on Capitol Hill, actually the first time I advocated on Capitol Hill was with AMSA. And something that AMSA always makes a point of is to train our our members who are going in um, and being a part of these advocacy days. So for instance, on our advocacy day, we'll have a morning long training session talking about 
How do you advocate? Why is it important to go and speak with your members of Congress? Why is it important to share stories? And then from there, we'll also learn about the specifics of the topics that we're advocating on behalf of. We need to know what we're talking about, why we're talking about it, and how to most effectively and best talk about these issues with anybody, whether that be members of Congress, whether that be our peers, our faculty members, even our family and friends. We need to be able to have educated, evidence-based conversations. Um, Aside from that, we also have, as you mentioned, the Scholars Program, or I guess now Leadership Course. So I was a part of the Advocacy Leadership Course when I was still in medical school, and it's this amazing online kind of... uh, e-course so to speak and it's a few months long but it's not a daily occurrence so you might have a class once a week sometimes you have a class every other week really depends on the course that you're in when I was in my advocacy leadership course we met weekly and we talked about different issues so we kicked off the course talking about what is advocacy what's the difference between advocacy and activism why is it important to know how to advocate and why is it important to advocate then we learn different things like how to bird dog how to do call-in campaigns how to write op-eds and letters to the editor effectively how to talk to media effectively these are things that at least in my medical school we never learned these sitting in class granted you know we learned all the very important things about being a physician and the clinical aspect but it's also important to be involved in advocacy and policy making and decision making, especially as physicians in training, we will be folks with voices that need to be heard and should be heard. Give me a sense, though, because advocacy can take many forms today, from social media campaigns to walks to, you mentioned, weeks of action, op-ed letters, bird dogging, which is, of course, following around candidates or or your uh, current Congress people, or even people who are in local government, and calling them out in the media to be able to do that. Maybe holding town halls, maybe having protests or rallies. What's working? So honestly, all of it. You can't have just one of these things without having the other aspects of these of advocacy and activism and so these different forms of advocacy that you mentioned and activism are they're they're accomplishing different goals right so we have some some things will advocate some of these will educate some of these things will agitate uh, which is also good some of these things will raise the attention of media some will raise the attention of the general population or whatever population you're focusing on some will Uh, impact change, right? So by, for instance, by increasing the the number of calls to our members of Congress, right? We couldn't have done that without all these other things taking place. So for instance, having uh, a hashtag, do no harm, for instance, right? So hashtag, do no harm, media campaign. Okay, what's the education behind it? Well, having a week long of action where we educate folks about why it's important to not repeal the ACA, and then having another social media campaign where people are posting photos of themselves with a picture of them holding a sign, why should we not repeal the ACA? And then mobilizing folks to go to their own town halls, to create their own town halls, or go to town halls in their districts to talk to their members of Congress about why should we not repeal the ACA, and why is it important to me and my family and my community, right? So then this is raising awareness 
definitely educating people. And oftentimes these things are agitating people who are in the community who are being affected by it. So now they want to agitate the people who are in power to make the change. So what do we do? We organize call-in campaigns. And I don't know if any of you have called in or have been calling in, but oftentimes when I call, these mailboxes are full, at least at the DC office, these voice mailboxes. So then you call their regional offices, and oftentimes they have a few. When that doesn't work, People then find other ways to get in contact, and they get out that message via social media, right? So hearing that Senator Marco Rubio's email and his email and voicemail inboxes were full, well, what did people do? They found a free online faxing source where they then started to fax him messages so that they could get their point across. All of these things are really necessary in order to accomplish and create change. But it feels sometimes, especially right now, where you have a unified government that is uh, in opposition to many of the things that AMSA is pushing forward, that what headway can we really make? I mean, even with all the calls and everything that happened, uh, for example, around uh, the DeVos uh, confirmation, you had two Republican senators decide to cross the aisle. I mean, that was amazing. And you had a very unified front on the, the Democratic side um, in, in terms of this education nomination, and yet it still went through. How do you view that, and how do you stay engaged and positive and not find a defeatist attitude? You know, we've already seen some folks talking about burnout from advocacy and activism since January 20th, and there have been actions daily and um, protests and gatherings happening every weekend, and it is hard to just stay up physically, emotionally, and mentally with, with everything going on. But in this current situation, even not letting up is a win. Right? So keeping the pressure on folks, letting them know that we're still here, we're still listening, and we're still holding them accountable. Things might not always go our way, right? just like in the instance of Tom Price, HHS secretary, was nominated and confirmed despite a huge outcry of people not wanting him to be confirmed because of the safety of public health. We raised our voices, we voiced our concerns, but you know what? We weren't able to affect change in that instance, but now we know our next step is that we need to watch other things. We now know what his agenda is. We know how he's voted on things. And honestly, I feel like most of our country knows a lot more about Tom Price than they did before uh, he was even mentioned as a nominee. Um, so now we know other ways to affect change and to really how, to, how we can best approach advocacy and activism moving forward regarding health issues with the new HHS secretary. And I see that a lot of uh, organizations and media are really following uh, Reverend Martin Luther King Jr.'s suggestion of keep your eye on the prize. As the national president, it must be very frustrating for you because there are so many things for you to advocate on, and so many of our members have different objectives. You mentioned we have 80 national leaders, and we have about 12 to 25 different topics, depending upon how broad or narrowly you define them. There's no way you or anyone could keep identified in all these topics, even though you care about them. I know that many people are focusing in on one topic, really choosing something to remain completely dedicated to, and then also be involved in other projects in a supporting role. How do you encourage that within the organization? 
Oh, absolutely. So many of our members do have their own passions, right? So a lot of folks know that I'm very passionate about women's health, but that doesn't mean I'm not passionate about other things um, or that I'm reluctant to learn about other things or advocate clearly or or honestly, I wouldn't be in this position that I'm in. Um, but it's okay to have one thing that you're passionate about and to advocate for that and to really fight for that cause. But also be aware that other causes also have an impact on your cause, right? So when we look at advocacy and activism now, we need to look at the intersectionality of everything. You know, how how are race and gender intertwined? How do they affect one another? How are health and gender and race intertwined? Everything is intertwined and we need to we need to realize that and realizing that really allows us to work with other partners uh, both nationally and in our community. So we see for instance the local chapters working with working with other groups that folks are like, well, why are they working together? You know, don't they, don't they do the same thing? Do they have different points of view? And, you know, one thing that we've really focused on this year, at least nationally, is that we're really putting forth a voice between AMSA, the Latino Medical Student Association, and the Student National Medical Association. Granted, we're all physicians in training, and we don't all have the same missions and aspirations. We all do stand for a lot of the same policies, though, and we collaborate when we can. We know that each of our organizations organizations brings a unique voice to the table and we understand and appreciate that voice and um, really respect the fact that we can all sit at a table talk about how these issues impact each of our members and our associations that must be hard as a coalition where you're with a group of of other organizations whether those be other student organizations or national organizations i would think sometimes you would have to set aside perhaps your highest priority in order to make sure that we stay focused on getting responses to items that matter can you talk a little bit about that so i think it's important as not even just national organizations, but even when you're looking locally, right, at your local chapters or whatever coalitions you might form in your neighborhood. Uh, Looking at, you know, what's important to you is not always the most important thing at that time. When we work in coalitions, we all know what's important to each of our organizations, but that doesn't mean that either AMSA's priorities are always top priority or SNMA or LMSA's priorities are always top priority. We talk about, you know, this is really of importance right now. This is where we need to come together as physicians in training to raise our voices, to elevate one another. And we're going to put aside what we're doing on a particular issue in our association so that we can focus on what you're focusing on, so that we can have a stronger voice. Because at the end of the day, we're going to make more change and affect, affect more in our country if we work together as opposed to working individually and combating even ourselves within our, within our groups, even though we believe in the same things. Excellent. So AMSA has 40,000 members. Yeah. How does someone get involved? They can come to AMSA convention and represent their chapter in the House of Delegates and make a real meaningful difference in terms of what we pursue and how the organization gets run. That's pretty formal. Are there other ways where perhaps a medical student who doesn't have quite that much time can participate? Oh, absolutely. So there are so many different levels of participation in AMSA, whether that's signing on to a petition that AMSA is promoting or has put together, showing that you stand with whatever statement it is at that time that we're putting out there, whether that's you know writing in your own local community, getting published in a, in a newspaper and sharing that with the national office so that 
we can also elevate that that story and publish it on on our website and in our social media whether that's putting together your own protest demonstration rally town hall having people attend a town hall whatever it might be there's nothing too small or too big that you cannot do or can do rather (laughs) in your local community There are so many forms of, like we said before, advocacy and activism that the sky is really the limit when it comes to participating in AMSA. And, you know, if you don't have a local AMSA chapter, you can start a local AMSA chapter. That in itself is a form of advocacy, right? Because then you're getting, you're starting a community in your your own community, right? You're starting a new community of progressive physicians in training wanted to fight for quality, affordable healthcare for all and health equity for our patients. And so that in itself is a form of activism. Sometimes, you know, we understand that starting a chapter is difficult. So we have the resources at the national office to help you. We'll guide you through what that's like to start a chapter. If you don't want to start a chapter, but you still want to be part of AMSA, you can join national AMSA. You don't need to be necessarily in a local chapter, especially if you don't have one. Um, Everybody who's an AMSA member is a national AMSA member, though. (laughs) Kelly, thank you so much. Appreciate your time today. Appreciate you taking some time to talk about advocacy. We'll certainly do it again. Absolutely. Me too. Thank you for having me and AMSA Power. AMSA iLib is brought to you by the American Medical Student Association. I'm your host, Christine Camizio. This episode was produced by Joshua Caulfield, Dr. Kelly Tibbert, and myself. Joshua Caulfield is the show's executive producer, and Dr. Kelly Tibbert is AMSA's national president. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and thank you for listening. Mark your calendar to attend the American Academy of Family Physicians National Conference of Family Medicine Residents and Medical Students July 27th through the 29th in Kansas City, Missouri. Choose from more than 35 educational sessions and visit over 450 residency programs and exhibitors and much more. Join the National Conference Equation at aafp.org nc.